This morning's reading is from Joshua 2. The time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, Go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia. He instructed them, Spy out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house. They are spies sent here to discover the best way to attack us. Rahab, who had hidden the two men, replied, The men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the city at dusk as the city gates were about to close, and I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath piles of flax. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing places of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the city gate was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So, a fascinating chapter. You know, I have often thought chapter 1 of Joshua, incredible chapter, but chapter 2, wow, what a fascinating chapter. So as chapter 1 begins, if you were here last week, you recall this, it starts with Moses is dead, like two verses in, Moses is dead. So big downer for Joshua because now Joshua's taken over, he's the leader, and his guy, his mentor, Moses is dead. But from that point on, the rest of the chapter does nothing but build, build, build fire and passion, fire and passion, and it just keeps going. Be very strong and courageous, it says. Three times, actually, it says, you're going to be successful wherever you go. Everybody should cross over to the promised land. And what's the promised land? It's it's everything that God created you to be. You're going to cross over to that. And so it's building, go, go, go. And you get to the end of chapter one and your full expectation as chapter two begins is that they're going to cross. They're going to take all that passion, all that fire, and just going to fly, like not even touching the ground into the promised land. And instead what you get is you get nothing but dialogue. You don't get the action You get the dialogue. And chapter 2 is all about dialogue. It reminds me of that old Elvis Presley song. A little less conversation, a little more action, right? And all you see in chapter 2 is a bunch of dialogue going on and no action. And actually, at the end of chapter 1, right, there's so much build up and you're thinking, they're going to go. And you get chapter 2 and it's nothing but a bucket of cold water, just cold water everywhere. All the passion of Joshua chapter 1 gives way to tremendous pessimism in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua himself is center stage in Joshua chapter 1, and he takes a back seat in Joshua chapter 2. And it is as if someone just takes this big bucket of cold water and just sling it everywhere, (laughs) all over the place. Terrible. 
We don't want that to happen to you. We don't want you to suffer with a big bucket of cold water. Instead, our passion needs to keep climbing. Our passion to continue to move forward, right? Your plan with God's help, what God wants to do in your life, reaching your full potential. We need to keep moving forward across, but there's going to be things that fight us. And this is what Joshua finds out. And so the book of Joshua, what a phenomenal book. And like I said, I've always enjoyed Joshua chapter one, all the fire, but Joshua chapter two, oh my goodness, it might be even better. You know why? So practical. So chapter one, passion. It's all about spirituality. It's all about being a tigger, right? If you were here last week from the Winnie the Pooh, optimistic passion. Well, today we're going to get in touch with our Eeyore side. When I get in touch with that side that's in a very, very practical way is going to keep us moving forward to reach that promised land, what God has called us to do. So let's just go through it. Let's do a quick recap of what went on in this chapter. So here's how it starts, right? Passion builds up. Boom, you hit chapter two. First thing you read is Joshua secretly, emphasis on the word secretly, sends two spies. The anticipation after chapter one, send all of Israel over. The anticipation is all of them would cross. And in chapter two, two cross. There's your first sign there's a problem. The word secret is another problem. You might say, if you know the story, if you've done a lot of reading on this, oh yeah, but wait, but wait. Moses, his mentor, sent spies too. Yes, big difference. Moses, at the direction of God, sends spies into the promised land, gives them detailed instructions about what to do. Joshua, at his own direction, after God has directed him for all the people to cross, says, we're not crossing because passion is giving way to pessimism, and I'm going to send two spies across because I'm not being strong and courageous. I'm going to send them across and tell them to go there very secretly and let nobody know that they're there and give them very little instruction, out of step with what Moses did in Numbers chapter 13. So they're on a secret mission. Now, you immediately know there's a problem. Because when they get there, the moment they walk into Jericho, what did Daniela just read for us? Immediately, it's like they walked in. They bungled the whole mission. It's like they walked in with a big sign on them, Israeli spies, right? Because the moment they get there, the king says, hey, uh, Rahab, send out the spies that uh, came to you. So they've bungled the mission already. It's no longer a secret. Now, Rahab, sharp as a tack, she is a Canaanite prostitute. For centuries, actually, everybody, um, Bible scholars, theologians, not all of them, some of them, not all of them, some of them, have tried to say, Rahab, the Canaanite. Now, the Canaanites, barbaric people. One Bible scholar said, you know, to call the Canaanites barbaric is like saying the North Pole is a little bit chilly. Child sacrifice. Ritual sexual abuse and all the pain and all the problems that are associated with that violence and that abuse. And here you have, and the Israelites took, never marry a Canaanite because of what they bring to the table. And so here you have Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute who steps up and takes center stage from Joshua. Matter of fact, everybody, Joshua, who's all over the pages of chapter one, he's mentioned in the beginning of chapter two, then he takes a back seat, and 
All you see is Rahab's name over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And nobody else is named except for Joshua at the beginning and Joshua at the end. Other than that, it's all about Rahab. Now, Bible scholars said, ah, she really wasn't a prostitute. She's an innkeeper. She's an innkeeper, all right. It's clear all over the Bible, start to finish, both sides, Old New Testament, if you want to call that, whatever, Rahab is a prostitute. And so Rahab, the prostitute, whose home is built into the city wall, and who's the most vulnerable people living in the city? Who's the most vulnerable? Where do you put your least favorite people? Where do you put the people that you're ready to discard the first if there's a problem in your city? You build their homes where? into the wall of the city. It's the most vulnerable place. So she's, she's, the one that, she's the one without a future. She's the one without a hope. She's the one that's considered trash. She's the one that's looked down upon. She's the one that despised. And so Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, king's men come to her, sharp as attack. She says, oh, yes, look how she plays them. She plays them great, very quick on her feet. She says, the spies were here. They were here. But right before the gates of the city closed, they took off and they ran up the path. And then she says this, and then she gets them. This is how she gets them. She says, you better chase them right now or you're going to lose them. So now they have a situation. That we're either going to chase them now, right now, and maybe find them. If we go back and report to the king, well, we're done. We'll never find them then. They don't have time. She puts them, she locks them down, so to speak, and they chase, and then the city gates are closed and they're stuck outside chasing. Now, what she had done is she'd hidden them up on the roof. Why is that interesting? Joshua said, I want you guys to have a secret mission. Now, where are they? How, how visible is a rooftop? <laughs> so here they are, very visible up on top of the roof, and they're buried under a bunch of flax. It's just these big palm trees and branches, all this stuff. She has all on, on top of her roof. So they're buried underneath of that. Joshua says, I want you to see the land. It's hard to see the land when you're buried. And they're scared. And she kneels down beside them. She says, listen to me, listen to me. And here it is. Here's the most important point of Joshua chapter 2. She says, listen to me. Everybody knows what God has done for you. We all heard about Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time, how God, even when Egypt said, no way are we going to let you go, how God brought them down and delivered you and set you free. Then, then. We heard about how after they let you free, that they went back on that and they chased you up to the border of the Red Sea and we heard about how God delivered you. And then I want to remind you, we heard about how Sion, a king, an Amorite king, when you guys were really down, when things were really bad and everything was going wrong and you didn't think you were ever going to make it to your promised land and there's no potential for you in your life because you were never going to reach it and you just had to settle. You had to settle. We heard about when you were in that condition, we heard about how God delivered you when Sihon attacked you when you were down. He kicked you when you were hurting. And yet God at that low point still brought you out. And then we heard about Og right on the heels of Sihon. Like Og said to himself, Sihon couldn't do it. So I'm going to get them. I'll defeat them. We heard how Og was defeated and how God delivered you. Egypt, the Red Sea, Sion, Og. She reminds, she reminds, she reminds, she reminds. Then she says this, and everybody takes their cues from Rahab the prostitute. She's in total control of the entire chapter two. She says, here's what you're going to do. Now, the king's men have already listened to her, and now the spies are going to listen to her. And she says, here's, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to let you down 
with a rope, right? I got a rope. Let you down out of the window of my house that's built into the wall. You're going to go hide up in the hills. And then a few days later, after the coast is clear, you're going to cross the Jordan, go back, and you're going to see Joshua. And they say, okay, okay, whatever you say, Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, we're going to do because you are in control. So they do it. And they make a deal before they leave. And here's the deal. They said, when we come back, and I hate to spoil this for you, but they do eventually defeat the city of Jericho. When they come back, they say, if, if you will take a red rope and tie it to your window, everybody will know it's your house and everybody in your house will be saved. And we're making a covenant with God to do that. So they go, they cross the Jordan River, they get to safety, they come to Joshua. And you know who they quote? they end up quoting Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, to Joshua, the commander. They quote, just like she said, everybody's hearts are faint. And when Joshua hears her words, and listen, everybody, when you quote somebody in Scripture, that makes you, a, it makes you like a prophet. It makes you like an oracle. That's what Rahab, the prostitute, becomes. All of his pessimism gives way once again to passion when she, her words, reminds him of what God has already done. He then again is filled with passion and we're told in chapter three that very early the next, see people who are really passionate, right? They're so fired up they can't sleep. Early the next morning, Joshua rallies the troops. What he should have done at the beginning of chapter two, he does the beginning of chapter three, rallies, let's go, we're crossing over. And they all march across, not two, they all march across. This chapter teaches us something vitally important and extremely practical, and I'm hoping that everybody will put it in place in their life because if you do, if you follow the plan that Joshua gives us to follow, you will keep moving forward when things push against you to get you go backwards. This is God's plan about how to fight back against your enemies that are coming against you, trying to keep you from the promised land. So last week we said this, step number one. Step number one was passion. And we said this famous quote, nothing great in the world is ever accomplished without passion. And what is passion's enemy? We got Darth over here to help us. Passion's enemy, right, was apathy. It's apathy, complacency. It's always the problem in the Bible. Apathy and complacency. Here, this week, everybody, step number two. There's five steps to this process, five steps. Step number two, really important. This is what this sermon is all about. It's what Joshua 2, in my opinion, is so much about. It's about proof. Can you prove it? Step two is proof. Can you prove it? I want us to put away this kind of silly idea that, oh, well, I don't have to have any proof whatsoever in anything because faith is blind. People say, well, you know, I can't buy into that Bible stuff and Christianity stuff because, you know, it's all blind. It's all about blind faith. No, it's not. No, no it's not. That's, the Bible's not leading us to that. I know some of you know some Bible verses that maybe we could unpack them more. We don't have time to do that now. But if, if it was really about not having proof, then why all the proof given here in chapter 2 that fuels their passion and they move forward? Why? In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul, when he's building a case for belief in God, does he start with the planet Earth? That's one big ball of proof, right? It's substantial. It's tangible. It's a silly, unbiblical idea to say that God is not saying, hold on to these proofs that I've given you. And so we need proof, and we have it, and you can have it. 
You already have a lot of it already, and you're going to have a whole lot more, and it's going to help you to move forward in what God wants you to do and to be so that you can reach your full potential. Again, the promised land represents, the promised land represents me becoming absolutely everything that God has called me to be, me reaching my full potential in Christ. And how am I going to move forward when things are coming against me to move me backwards? So I have something very practical here for you this morning that I'd like us to talk about. Your greatest enemy against the attacks of the enemy, right? Your greatest weapon against the attacks of the enemy might be a really good memory. Your greatest weapon against the attacks of the enemy might be a really good memory. That's the message of Joshua chapter 2. You know, Americans love New Year's resolutions. I read here recently that Americans are addicted to self-improvement. Not a bad idea. Self-improvement is a good thing. Do you realize that almost half of Americans make New Year's resolutions? You can call it a resolution, you can call it a plan, whatever you want to call it. Almost half Americans do that. Do you realize only a third of Americans watch the Super Bowl? We have more Americans. We have more Americans making plans and resolutions about what they want to accomplish or, with God's help, what they want to accomplish, right? So we are really into it. But only 8% of those plans succeed. Why? What's standing against us that those plans don't come to pass? This is what I want to talk about this morning. So we have a picture, very important picture. Let's look at him. Okay? Great quote. Here is, man, he is the oracle. He is the philosopher. This is actually, this is very deep. This is really good. Really, really good. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Now, it's very childish and immature to think, oh, oh, yes, I'm going to do all kinds of, God's going to do all, oh, here we go, skipping across the promised land. You know what's going to happen, everybody, is you're going to get punched in the mouth. (laughs) All of us get punched in the mouth. So here's what this whole message is about. Joshua got punched in the mouth. What did he do? How did God get him back on track? How did God graciously, through the gift of Rahab, save him? Look, he went on to have a stellar career. But if it wasn't for Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, it would not have been the same. God graciously saves him. This was his debut as a commander, as a great military leader, and his first step was a false start, was a bad step. He's going down the drain, and God graciously saves him with what Rahab the prostitute does. And Joshua, so this is critically important. For many of us, we're here. Plan, you're excited, you want to do, some of you think, oh, God's never, I have to settle. And some of you are like, "Mm, I think maybe. And others are like, yes, there's things. You're always going to face an enemy. Your greatest weapon against your enemies that'll punch you in the mouth could be a really good memory. And this is what Rahab shows us. So today, the enemy, last week it was apathy. Today, right, the enemy is we are forgetful. And we got to combat that, and we have a very practical way to combat that about being forgetful. I want to read you some scripture verses that talk about the importance of being very mechanical and very practical here. Job 19. Now, if you don't know Job, Job had really gone through a rough time. Job is a very deep book. Can't even begin to scratch the surface of how deep. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to understand the book of Job. It is so, so, so deep. But he's going through a really bad time. And this is the words he says. About in the middle of the book, this is what he says. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with 
an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. What is Job saying? Man, I wish I would have written some things down. I wish I would have taken the time to do something so practical. Last week was spiritual. Okay, Eeyore, today it's practical. I wish I would have been so mechanical and so practical to written some things down because it would have made all the difference in the world. Exodus chapter 17, fantastic verse here. Exodus 17, let me set it up for you. They're out in the desert. Joshua is the commander. Moses is still alive, right? Under, under, under Moses. They're backed up against the wall. They've got this uh, army that's come out against them. Things aren't going well. They're not looking good at all. They're being defeated. And then God gives them this incredible victory. And then Moses says this, really important. Exodus 17 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. Why does he do that? Because Moses knows, because God moves on his heart and Moses knows that there's going to come a time in Joshua's life when he's going to be backed up and all of his passion goes to pessimism. And he's going to need to be reminded and it's going to need to be written down and somebody should read it to him. Because if somebody reads it to him and he's reminded of it and he's mechanical about it and he's a daily thing that he does, then he's going to have passion, he's going to move forward, he's going to become everything that I'm calling him to be. Have you ever done that? Have you ever written down the things that God has done? Last verse, Revelation 12, 11. This is the verse that we've written on Darth Vader back here. It's very important. You know why? It says that we have defeated the enemy by the word of our testimony. We have defeated the enemy by the word of our testimony. You know what a testimony is? It's a written document of what God has done in your life. So how do we defeat the enemy, everybody? We defeat the enemy by taking the time to write down what God has already done. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken the time to write it down and use that? This, everybody, is the way we fight back. So when our enemy punches us in the mouth, this is how we punch back rather than sitting there and taking it. And most of us get, you're like me, you get all amped up and ah, in yourself, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. God says, no, don't do that. Instead, write down what I've already done and punch back, and here's how you do it. This is how we, when the enemy punches us in the mouth, this is how we punch back and keep moving forward. We take the time to write down what God has already done. So we gave you a gift. Can you locate that gift? I hope everybody got one of these. This is a 50-cent notebook, 50-cent. Not, not the wrapper, not the wrapper 50-cent, right? This is an inexpensive notebook, 50-cent notebook. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, according, according to God's word here, that we find how God puts such a premium on writing things down. This could change your life. This could change your 2016. This could change the rest of your life. Last week, we wrote down on our bulletins, hey, with God's help, what do I want to accomplish in 2016? We're going to do something very important with this notebook in just a moment. We're going to play you some music, and we're going to give you an opportunity to actually write down what God has already done. God has already done. Here's the way I use my journal. I actually start my journal before the year ends. And what I do is I do, you don't have to do this what I do. I'm just telling what I do. I write down in the back of the journal, with God's help, with God's help and a lot of prayer, what, does I feel, what do I feel that God wants to accomplish in 2016? I write it down and I have all these categories. Personally, family, professionally, everything. I have dreams, I have hopes. I have all, very prayerful, I write them down. But in the front. Now I use, I start here. 
and I begin to write the things that God has already done. Like from my 2015 journal, I make sure that throughout the year I keep adding to the list. I'll tell you this already, my 2016 journal, everybody, my 2016 journal that I started three or four weeks ago, I've already had to add a number of things to the answered list because God has answered so quickly because I took the time to write it down. And what I do every day in my life, what I try to do every day in my life is I take my journal and I open it up and I just read it. I said, God, this is the stuff you've already done. I read it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, just read it. And I'll come to the back and I say, God, here's, here's the things that with your help I'm talking to you about. The plan. And I'll just read it. Boom, boom, boom. And then in the body of it, I'm writing notes about what's, I'm journaling what's going on. And I write my prayers. And I know that's different. I know some of you think that might be a little bit weird, but it keeps me focused. And so I actually write my prayers. So I have this dialogue between God and I, but it starts with writing down. And so we've given you this gift today. And what we'd like you to do, like you to do is take a moment. This is very important. This is, this is how God's plan works. This is how a winning plan works. Just take a moment just now for the next minute and a half, two minutes. Can you think of what God has already done? Have there already been answers? And can you write those things down in your notebook, wherever you think is the most prominent place that you'll see it? And can you begin to write that right now? Please take a moment and let's do that. I don't want to interrupt those of you who are writing. If you're writing, please continue writing. I don't want to do anything that's going to sidetrack you, but uh, I just want to say just a few brief comments, and then we're almost done. I want to tell you a story, and then we're going to end. Um, This, everybody, it's so practical, and when I say the word mechanical, I mean it's just a daily routine that you get into, a daily routine that you get into that you are recording the answers as they're filling. As I said, I've already had some that I just put down in my book, my journal, less than four weeks ago that I've already had to add because God is answering, and I just simply read them. Very practical, very mechanical, very automatic, very much a routine. This is how we fight back. Here's the thing, everyone. You are going to be faced with problems there is going to be a battle over God's work in your life about you reaching your full potential in Jesus Christ, about you reaching the promised land and the plan that God has for you. I guarantee it. Jesus said it. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You have things. And so when that happens, in the heat of the moment, when that heat is on, because when you're hit, when you're punched in the mouth, in the heat of that moment, we make decisions that we're not happy with. We make decisions that we regret But when you're very mechanical, because you've done this over and over again, you'll go back to what you have done as a daily drill and training. Isn't it true that in the heat of the moment, don't we do good? When you're put in a spotlight situation or an intense situation, right? We we make goofy decisions. I've told this before, but this is so true. I I was like 14 years old. And, you know, you're always thinking about what other, and you know, you've got your teenage friends around you, and image is so critically important. And so we're down at Bush Gardens in the summer, and it's packed, and... I didn't know this, but the friends all pointed behind my back at my head, and we were in a square dancing show. I have no idea why we're there, you know, with the big stage. And so they yanked me up on stage to do the square dancing thing. And they said, you know, the guys bow and the women curtsy. But in the heat of the moment, I freaked out. And in the heat of the moment, when they said, you know, guys bow, I curtsied instead. Because, <laughs> you know, I saw her, the, right, she was curtsying, so I curtsied. Now, that's bad, that's bad. But you know what? I did it three times. 
It's, I'm telling you now, it's humiliating. It's humiliating. But don't we make bad decisions in the heat of the moment unless we have drilled, 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 drilled. Any good sports coach is going to tell you in the heat of the moment, if you have drilled, drilled, drilled in the heat of the moment, you'll go back to what's mechanical for you. You go back to the things that you put in place and you'll do them. This past week, I read General Patton's speech to the Third Army right before D-Day. Some people call it the greatest military speech ever written. If you take the time to Google it after I'm done, I'm just warning you. <laughs> General Patton believed that profanity was the language of the soldier, and he used it very, very freely. So don't, I'm not telling you, okay? I'm not telling you to go read it, okay? He said that profanity helps soldiers to remember what he said. And I got to tell you what, after reading this, there's going to be decades that I'm going to remember some of the imagery that he put in my head. But this is what he said in this speech. And this is the, reason I, the whole reason I brought it up. He said this in his speech. And it was actually so good. And it's the same thing every coach will preach and preach and preach. And this is why practice is important. This is why when you're running practice as an athlete, that you do it like it's a game situation. He said this, you're going to go into this battle, soldier. And all those drills that you complained about are going to come back and be a blessing to you because it's all those drills that in the heat of the battle is going to keep you moving forward and it's going to give you victory. It's going to be what helps you to be brave. Everybody, this is it. Now, this sounds practical and some of you are like, oh man, I don't like practice. Someone's like Alan Iverson, practice, practice. Some of you don't know who Alan Iverson is. Okay, it's all right. Google it, practice Alan Iverson, you'll figure it out. Okay, this is it. Do this. Every day, drill it in so in the heat of the moment, you don't back off. Now, I'm going to conclude by telling you this. <clears throat> we have just a few moments left. And I'm going to tell you uh, a couple things. And it's going to be really important. I'm not being rude here. I'm not being rude. It's going to be critically important that actually if you've not been engaged in this whole service with your ears so that none of us are confused about what I'm getting ready to say, and you don't send me emails. What did you say? Try to dial in for the next seven minutes, okay? I want to tell you about something that's happened to me in the last four weeks. All right, I've made my thing. I'm crossing, you know, God, crossing, and bam, right in the mouth, as hard as it could be. So about three or four weeks ago now, uh, we, 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 we love TJ. We have a wonderful relationship here at TJ. Arlington County is just booming with children, and we think it's great. And our Graceland ministry is awesome, and it's exploding. Arlington County needs to put an elementary school somewhere because they're overflowing with kids. And so the county board voted unanimously. They're going to put it in that parking lot right there. And so what's going to happen January 2017? So a year from now, did everybody hear me say a year from now? Did everybody hear me say a year from now? Yeah. So a year from now, uh, they're going to dig up that parking lot and the entire parking lot's going to be gone. Well, uh, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, that pretty much renders it almost Im virtually impossible for us to continue to stay here for the two years while the building is going on. So what I'm telling you is that we found out a few weeks ago that basically we're going to be homeless. And that was a massive punch right in my mouth. I was all excited. <laughs> I was like, let's go. 2016, woo! Bam, Mike Tyson's right, right in the mouth. And uh, I had somebody say to me, well, just go somewhere else. Uh, it's not that easy. 
Not that easy. So there's a huge punch in the mouth. Less than four days after that, less than four days after that, I got punched in the mouth a second time. So our office space is in Boston. Some of you have seen it. We love our office space. We have renovated our office space. It is beautiful from what it used to be. It used to be horrendous. But in the last few years, we were given more flexibility there, and we were able to renovate it and do some wonderful things. And for the last two years, the organization that owns it have told us repeatedly for two years straight, you're our priority, you're our priority, you're our priority. And they were approached by a developer. And so the organization that owns it said to the developer multiple times, multiple meetings all over the place, Grace Community Church is our priority. We just want a worship space for them. They've told us parking is critical, critical. Got to have parking at the office space because we're already maxing out the office space. And so less than four days after we became homeless here at TJ in January 2017, they asked to meet with us. And so we met with them. And they said, how's it going? I said, oh, man, we just got news. We're going to be homeless on Sundays. And they said, well, we got some more news for you. We've decided to sell the office space. And you're more than welcome after the construction is over to come back in. But we're going to more than quadruple your rent. And that parking space that you love so much, we're taking it all away. And we're going to leave you with an empty shell And if you want to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix it out, then you can do it. Bam, bam. Now, what was I doing? I I was charging, right? And it backed me up big time. Now, I'm going to tell you one last. It's number three. It's not, what do you call a triple? I got the triple. And the thing I want to tell you now, the first two I've just told you are very professional in nature. I want to tell you something very personal in nature, and this is where I need you to listen, or you will send me an email, or you'll just leave this church and you'll never come back unless you listen to me really, really closely. Is that okay? Can I ask you to do that? I'm going to tell you something that's very deeply painful in my life. A couple weeks ago, we got knocked the door, and uh, my wife, Krista, answered the door. It's the postman. Postman has a certified letter or whatever. Right? Got a sign for it. Got a sign for it. It's from the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. They put a lien on our house. It's a case of mistaken identity. It's a case of mistaken identity. Will you say that with me? It's a case of mistaken identity. Are we good? It's a mistaken identity. They made a mistake. They admitted their mistake. But the damage is kind of done and there's some ripple effect to it. But it's okay. We can clean all that up. It's okay. It's all right. The problem is, is it reminded us of something that happened eight years ago which I don't like to talk about because it's extremely painful. There was a case of mistaken identity eight years ago in my life that was extraordinarily painful. And the result of that mistaken identity from one Sunday to the next, this church was cut in half on its attendance because of a case of mistaken identity. What was it a case of? Thank you. I'm not being rude. I'm not. I just want you to hear me because I'm running a big risk right now. I'm running a huge risk that some of you are getting ready to hear something and you're not going to hear it and you're going to walk out and think, oh, okay. So eight years ago, uh, my name is John Sly Jr. My dad's name is John Sly Sr. And eight years ago, my dad somehow got himself involved with a Ponzi scheme. There was a $27 million Ponzi scheme. And before Bernie Madoff, it was the most fastest growing Ponzi scheme in America. And then Madoff came along and just blew it out of the water. And all of it, I don't, I don't know my dad's role in it. I don't, I don't, okay? But somehow he was associated with it. 
And so when they went looking for the person, all this happened like this overnight. All of a sudden, I got a bunch of phone calls, blowing up my cell phone, calling, and finally answered one of them. was Ryan Hahn, our creative designer, and he said, hey, John, uh, Channel 7 News is here at the office. They got, a, they, they got a microphone in my face, and they said they're looking for John Sly of Grace Community Church in Arlington, Virginia, who has run a $27 million Ponzi scheme, and what do you have to say about that? And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm, oh, my gosh, what, what's happening? Los Angeles Times runs an article. We start getting death threats on our voicemail at our home. Death threats. This is bad. This is really bad. Fox 5 News, 10 o'clock, Fox 5, Fox 5 News. I didn't see it. I had people call me and say, hey, you're on there. So I called the producer up and I said, hey, you ran a story. It's not me. Everybody's retracting it. You need, need to... <laughs> I'd appreciate if you did your homework a little bit better. But people are telling me that you said, John Sly, Fox 5 News, 10 o'clock. Second story in. Second story, big news. John Sly, pastor of Grace Community Church, Arlington, Virginia, is involved in a $27 million Ponzi scheme. We have called him, and he has not returned our phone calls. I never got a phone call. So I called the producer. I said, hey, what's up? They said, we never ran that story. I said, it's a mistaken identity. They said, we never ran it. I said, people tell me that you ran it. We never ran the story click. Producer said, I know everything that happens on this show. We never ran it. So I spent $250 of my own money. I bought that Fox 5 News that night, second story in, put it in my hand. I'm standing in my garage. I'll never forget it. Called them up. I said, it's in my hand. They said, what do you want us to do? I'm like, how about, sorry, I lied to you. Sorry, this has been so devastating to your life. Sorry, your character has been smeared. Sorry, everybody thinks something about you. And his distance and stuff. How about that? How about sorry for that? What do you want us to do? What can you do? We'll just make a retraction. Who hears the retraction? So Fox 5 News does a retraction. Los Angeles Times does a retraction. And I'm telling you, the damage is done. So punch one was TJ. Punch two was Boston. Punch three, which is highly personal in nature. It was a bad week. And I was reeling backwards. Here's what I did. I took my journal. I stood on that bridge with blood flowing from my mouth. And I just began in a very mechanical way. Yeah, but God, you did this. When there was no space, you created space for us before. When we were like the ugly stepchild in the basement of our office space, God, you raised us up. When all this happened to my life personally eight years ago, somehow you got me through it. I don't know how you got me through it. And I just every day began to read that. And as I did, I took a step forward instead of taking it. This is the way you fight. This is the way you fight. You write down what God's done and you keep moving. You don't move forward by your own. Ah! You move forward because, just like Rahab says, let's be reminded of the wonderful things that God has done. This is very practical in its nature, and I want to encourage you. These notebooks right here, this is how you fight. Journal. I want to conclude with a quick story to wrap it up about Rahab because this is so important. What a fascinating character. I want you to think with me for a second, everybody. She's a Canaanite prostitute. 
What do you think your future is? What do you think your promised land is? How good do you think your future is? Do you know all the abuse, the sexual abuse, the scars that are associated with that lifestyle? I think we all know that. I think we've all read enough stories that we know this. So what do you think she's thinking about her future? So now she's saved. She's alive. But how happy is she to be alive? Who's going to... Who? Amongst the Israelites who are forbidden from marrying Canaanites, who amongst the Israelites who have a much higher moral standard than the Canaanites, who's going to marry her? What kind of future? Is she ever going to have a family? Is she ever going to have a life? Is she ever going to reach her full potential? It looks bad. Like when they came, to, when they came and they, all the walls come tumbling down, you know, you know what they said? They're screaming across that valley, you know, save the prostitute. It's not like she walked into Israel and was like, I wonder what she does for a living. <laughs> huge scarlet letter A right there. I'm the prostitute. None of you want to have anything to do with me. Look down on me. I'm trash. I'm wondering if she saved that red rope. Because to her, it was a physical, tangible reminder of God's love. Scripture doesn't say it. I'm just wondering since she's into memory so much. I'm wondering if she hung and said, you know what? God loves me. God searched me. God found me. God has a plan. God has a future for me. God has a promised land for me. And every day I'm going to get up, I'm going to look at that rope, and I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to be apathetic. I'm going to say, God, somehow, I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how. But somehow you've done it before. You're going to do it again. God loved her so much that God went all the way into Jericho and found her and lifted her up and raised her up. So who's going to marry her? You know who she married? She married a guy named Salmon. You know who Salmon was? He was a prince. Rahab is the original Cinderella. Listen, some of you here this morning, particularly some of you women here this morning, you think there's no future for you? Rahab is the original Cinderella. You want to compare your life to her life? I mean, she was punched in the mouth so much in her life, punched in the mouth, yet God saw her through. And I'm thinking she hung that rope somewhere, and she marries a prince, the original Cinderella. And that prince, Prince Salmon, she ends up being the great-great-grandmother of King David. Now she's into royalty. And later on in her life, Matthew chapter 1, when we're given the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there's only four women mentioned in that genealogy, we find that she's not even in a royal line, she's in the divine line of Jesus Christ. He raises her up to the highest honor possible in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. In Hebrews chapter 11, when the Bible is recounting to us faith's great hall of fame, like the NFL hall of fame, who are the hall of fame of faith? When it's recounting to us, there's only two women, two women mentioned in the hall of fame. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the father of everybody who has faith. I mean, you can't get much higher than Sarah. And one other woman, who is it? Who is it? Rahab, the prostitute. God has a plan for you. Intangible reminders like your journal, like memorial stones that they set up after they crossed the Jordan River. Tangible reminders are really important. Last week, we did something. We invited people to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit by accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as a physical, tangible reminder of that, that they would come up here and cross this bridge. And as an act of what I call holy graffiti to sign their names. 
We've got over 20 names up here on this bridge of people who have been filled with the power of the Spirit in a physical, tangible way have crossed this bridge. And I want to conclude this service by offering the same thing. Our prayer team's over here. Take advantage of them. They want to pray with you about your plan. They've been praying since this year began. They want to pray with you if you'd like to pray with them. Grace in Five is back over here. If you're new, we'll tell you everything there is to know about this church in five minutes or less. But here's the last thing. In just a moment, this auditorium is going to empty out. People are going to run to the parking lot. We're so excited about the Redskins game. We can't get out of here quick enough. It's going to be like the Israelites leaving Egypt, okay? Same thing as last week. Same thing as last week, everybody. And after the dust settles, because many of you are just like me, you're very low-key. You're an introvert. You're very low-key. And so this is the way that I prefer to do things. There are some of you right now that the Holy Spirit is dealing with in a very profound way. And he's saying, come on. Let's cross this bridge and let me fill you with my power and let's cross it so you'll always remember the day that you crossed that bridge and you made that step towards me and allowed the power and the fire of my spirit to fill your very being. And so in a very low-key way, my wife, Krista, and I are going to be right down over here. As people are going out, you just slip down here. We just want to say a prayer with you and we want to invite you to do some holy graffiti this morning. And we want to have a very special and private time of prayer with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you give us these practical things to do that are so incredibly effective. We in ourselves want to just, we want to fight. But God, you tell us how to fight. And it's so daily, so mechanical, but so highly effective. Lord, I pray that we would take these 50 cent cheap spiral notebooks and turn them into sacred documents that guide us through 2016 and that we write down the mighty things that you're doing over and over and over again as our way of punching back against the enemy. And Lord, I just ask now in conclusion for those right now that your spirit is drawing, is speaking to about crossing over this bridge. Lord, help us to make the right decision in this moment that we might be filled with the power of your Spirit and it might propel us forward in what you want us to do and be that we might reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would bless every person here. Father, I ask that you would bless and keep each one of us, that you would make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us, God. I ask, Lord, that you would lift up your countenance upon us and grant us your peace, both now and forevermore, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. And remember, God is with you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.